Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sometimes needing new tires can catch us by surprise. That's why tire power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tirepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. Let's get back to a bit of the uh, Big Bash League action as well as everything else going on around the world in cricket. And uh, welcome, Paul Dennett, award-winning podcaster as part of Cricket Daily and Cricket Unfiltered to the overnight crowd. Uh, Good morning to you, Paul. G'day, Hita. That was a very unbiased uh, recount of of the match. You should have had a... A little bit of a smirk on your face. You're entitled to be pretty happy over there in Perth. Well done. Mate, talking to you with the orange-tinted sunglasses on, I am uh, feeling alive at the moment. But, uh, yeah, I I do feel for the Sydney Sixers. They must have walked under a ladder or something like that towards the end uh, with the injury concerns. And then also Josh Phillippe being out with COVID. It's just, yeah, not great timing for them headed into a final as they were. That's true. Um, But I think that every club faced some very, very difficult Mm. situations throughout the tournament. And, Obviously, it's well documented how Perth, the players, haven't been home for, for quite a long period of time now. And even though um, you know, I am a, a Sixers fan, I couldn't help but feel happy for them. It was a real real joyous scenes. It was quite nice on the microphone on, on the Channel 7 coverage when they were talking to Colin Munro when there was, um, I think there were eight down and he was being very calm. And then the ninth wicket fell. <laughs> His celebration almost broke the microphone. It was, um, uh, it was great to see how much it meant to them. And... Um, and yeah, four times champions. They've been the dominant team um, of the of the of the entire competition right from the start. I think they had a few finals that they probably could have won as well. So, uh, congratulations! And it just, I mean, it goes on to be even more impressive to only play the single match on their home turf. But uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. As we did say, Perth becoming the first team to four Big Bash titles. Uh, it was a seventy-nine run win in the end, and they recovered nicely from four for twenty-five. Uh, the Scorchers with Patterson, Inglis, Marsh and Munro all back in the sheds. And a few people around on Twitter were saying good night right there. It was an amazing turnaround, really. Um, I, I was getting that on um, text messages as well. People <laughs> sort of saying, well, this game's, a, this game's a dud. What do we watch this for? And um, it reminded me a little bit the comeback of what Michael Bevitt and Steve Waugh did in the, the 1999 uh, World Cup game against South Africa, where they Australia was in all sorts of trouble. Uh, but the difference was there. Because it was 50 overs, they had about seven or eight overs where they could just sort of consolidate and, and get in. Um, in T20, you don't have that much luxury. And it was, uh, they, they probably had a, a couple of quiet overs. And then they really went for Steve O'Keefe. And they took 19. I wrote it down because I was so impressed by it. They took um, 19 off his ninth over. And he is one of the most economical bowlers mm. uh, in the tournament. Um, you know, he wasn't picked in the, the best side of the tournament. I think he probably had claims to be. So... From there, Turner and Evans just played with uh, tremendous audacity and skill, and uh, they turned the game in a, in a twinkling because it wasn't that long before all of a sudden the, the Scorchers were strong favourites again. And by the innings break, I noticed that the um, Winviz had Perth 62%, and the betting, if you converted it to a percentage, had them 71%. So from nowhere to favourites in, um, in a twinkling. 
Well, we had uh, 50-50 around the office here at SEN uh, with some thinking 171 was more than enough and 171 wasn't enough. We had uh, two votes each ways, but I went with uh, the Scorchers bowling lineup being more than enough to defend that 171. And I feel like they showed it as well. Uh, you know, even Ashton Turner just bowling that one over, but breaking what was a little bit of a partnership. Uh, but Andrew Ty, three for 15. Jai Richardson, two for 20. Uh, just it's hard to tell if their batting or their bowling is probably the strong suit for the Scorchers. Well, it's, it's both. It's you're yeah. right, absolutely, and and you didn't even mention the the the, the two spinners there, Hasseglu and 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 Agar. Mm. That was the kind of the, the key moment where uh, it looked like you know I, I, Sydney Sixers tend to lose a few wickets early and then consolidate and 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 pull victories from nowhere. But those few overs of spin when they got Christian out and um, really just uh, clamped down on them. Uh, Avendano came in and got out straight away and. From there, it was this, that was the the moment that I thought the Sixers were going to um, have a resurgence. The, the the Scorchers just snuffed it out. Yeah, impressive uh, stuff as we've seen across the tournament for the Scorchers to uh, take home their fourth uh, title. But something off field that's uh, been you know emerging in the uh, mix uh, for the Sixers was the uh, Steve Smith fiasco scenario saga. I understand the rules, and he wasn't a signed player, so he can't be playing. We know his long-term um, you know, history with the Sixers. But uh, with the changes that they made to the play- replacement player pool, I think they could have been just as flexible there to allow him to play. Definitely. And I think that it doesn't take the gloss off the win at all. I think it's a, it's a separate point. That, that as far as I'm concerned, the Perth Scorchers are the, absolutely the deserved winners. They were the, comfortably the best team. Um, and Sydney were the second best team, and they thrashed them twice in five days. So they, they deserve to win. And I don't think that Smith's presence, I mean, he's such a great player, you never know, but I don't think that it would have made a, a difference. But and I, I would say this no matter which player it was and which franchise they were going to, I think that it was in cricket's best interests to, interest to have him playing. And um, for I think I said it to you last time that um, lots of people are watching the tennis at the moment and not watching the Big Bash. If uh, one of the best players of all time had been playing, then there would have been more eyeballs in that direction. I think it's a great pity um, that he wasn't playing. And I think that... Um, I, I, I think that Cricket Australia should have taken the lead and said, listen, um, we are going to allow him to play and not given it to the uh, the States the, the option of saying no. I mean, devil's advocate, it, it does bring up where do you draw the line of players who aren't currently playing or tied to a team's list when we've seen the teams, you know, uh, uh, put a spot on the roster for those guys that were getting into Ashes squads, uh, were perhaps expected to play the one-days. You know, uh, we saw uh, Carey and Head return to the Strikers, uh, Marsh and English returning to the Scorchers. It's not quite the same, but they did still, you know, use a spot on their list, whereas uh, the Sixers decided not to sign up Steve Smith. So I see both sides of it, but... It's just an opportunity to finish on a positive with, uh, you know, sort of the common sort of uh, public um, outcry about the length of the tournament and a few other things as well that we've seen along the uh, tournament so far. Yeah, and I think that, it, that with Carey and Head, that at the start of the season, the strikers would have had every reason to assume that they would be available at some point because neither of them were expected to be in um, both formats at all. Uh, whereas with Smith, with the... Australia-New Zealand series scheduled shortly after the Test series. There was no expectation that, that he was going to play um, whatsoever. And in terms of um, you know drawing the line, I, I see I see your point, but I just think that this summer they've had to redraw the line a thousand times, and they've done so brilliantly. I think that the way that they've scrambled to get the tournament to, to actually to get to an end uh, is very much to their credit. But I just think that it's you know it's um, it, it's a tournament that has been designed to bring new fans to the game and to uh, 
fight for cricket's um, prominence in a very clustered sporting calendar in a nation that loves lots of different sports. So they should have said, you know, uh, who cares if there's a precedent? Let's get the best players playing. In the lead-up to the final, we saw the announcement of the team of the tournament and also the player of the tournament. Not surprisingly, Ben McDermott was the player of the tournament. Hard to say why not. With back-to-back tons, almost a third when he struck 90-odd in another match. The extra prize for him, along with being the uh, prestigious uh, player of the tournament, is a return to the Australian T20 setup. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, you know, he's had that brief interlude at um, international level where he seemed to get run out every game he played. Um, so... <laughs> And I think he, even he said that he he probably wasn't ready for it last time, um, and he he's it's a very exciting period because it's only uh, what is it October that we've got a World Cup where um, in Australia, so it's crowded at the top of the order because obviously David Warner will will come back and there's there's English as well who can bat up the top, but uh, what an opportunity to potentially force his way uh, into the full strength side, and the way Australia's playing, you you certainly wouldn't. Um, put it past them winning the World Cup. So uh, it's exciting that we've got a player of his calibre to come in. And, uh, yeah, from from nowhere, where our T20 side was the butt of every everyone's jokes a few months ago, we're, we're now probably strong favourites to go back-to-back. Uh, hard to believe, isn't it? Uh, well, just an aside on the voting, uh, it's one of those things, you know, like the Brownlow being a midfielder medal, that sort of thing. But this player of the tournament, it was interesting to see Glenn Maxwell and Joe Clark on the second line of voting, um, considering the team's performance, the stars across the season. But reflecting on that for a moment, is there a discrepancy in what umpires see and what coaches see, uh, depending on, you know, the player of the tournament and the team of the tournament being voted by the two different groups? I think there probably is. And I think looking at what the coaches have done in picking their side of the tournament, for me, it's quite noteworthy they they go on the old-fashioned just runs and wickets, which is, you know, you'd say that's fair enough. But um, some of the bowlers have got plenty of wickets, but a couple of ones that didn't get picked, uh, for example, uh, Ashton Agar wasn't picked in the team of the tournament, and yet he, he, um, he took 18 wickets, which is not too bad, and he only went for 6.79 runs. Uh, so his economy rate's um, superb. He got a few handy runs as well. As I mentioned, Steve O'Keefe didn't get it, get in there. Some of the ones they did pick got hit around a little bit, but but took plenty of wickets. So, yeah, I think that um, coaches and umpires would look at um, very uh, things in a in a very different way. All right, I was I was going to ask you if uh, there were any other players that you thought was a bit hard done by to not make to the team of the tournament, as we saw uh, Joe Clark make it in, but uh, Glenn Maxwell didn't. But you've uh, you covered it there with uh, Ashton Agar and Steve O'Keefe. But just quickly before we do take a break and uh, turn our attention to some women's Ashes and also international cricket, that's. Uh, the uh, squad for the upcoming uh, series against Sri Lanka in the T20s, the five-match series has been announced. Uh, the one we're talking about with Ben McDermott making his way back into it. Uh, there's been some, what with that we got some confirmation of other names for the Pakistan tour, uh, which comes up in March. Jai Richardson, for example, he was picked in the T20s. He won't play in Pakistan. David Warner, Mitch Marsh have been rested for this series, but they look destined to be picked for the Pakistan tour. Yes, and I think that makes sense that with Richardson. He has been injury prone. He's still young enough that he's, you know, follow the template of Pat Cummins. Um, if he gets his body right, he can have many, many years playing test cricket. And it's a bit of an unknown with Pakistan because the first thing you think of, you think, oh, well, um, it'll be very flat pitches. But I think there's been a change in the, the mindset in Pakistan in, in, in recent times, and that is that they've given their pitches um, more of a fast bowling edge. So I think we just have to wait and see what the pitches that, that present there. But... I think that whatever the case is, our fast bowling stocks are going to be very, very, very strong. So given that Richardson has just been coming back from another injury, then um, don't tax him too much on a potentially long, hot tour. 
Um, interesting that Mitchell Marsh is therefore looking like he's going to get back into the um, the test framework. And, uh, yeah, I can't complain. Um, he's the most polarising man in Australian cricket. Um, I think he's winning winning more fans um, every time he plays. I've certainly come across to the to the pro Mitch Marsh camp, Mitch Marsh camp, and I'd be happy for him to win the test side. We did uh, find out last week that you are also pro Glenn Maxwell into the test side. Uh, do you take anything from him being picked for the T20 series about his potential of being picked for the Pakistan series or still waiting for the news? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I'm, I'm resigned to be disappointed with Glenn <laughs> Maxwell in terms of test cricket. I'm very, very pessimistic um, at all times. I mean, the other thing is I think his wedding is scheduled um, oh. for, for the Pakistan uh, so that that could be an interesting conversation yes. with his fiance. Um, but um, it doesn't mean that he can't be picked because obviously plenty of other players who are going to go across um, have been picked in that side. And I think they will definitely give him consideration. And even if he doesn't get picked for Pakistan, that there are other subcontinent tours that we've got coming up between Sri Lanka later on um, after that we're touring India as well. They tend to be more on the conservative side. I think they'll take the, the last 11 as their sort of starting template and work from there and add a few to that. So the odds are probably against him getting a trip to Pakistan. But I, w- I still have some hope that he might figure in the Australian test side in one of these tours coming forward. All right, moving on to the uh, women's ashes, mate. Uh, for the one-off test at uh, Manuka Oval in Canberra, uh, as we just said, English skipper Heather Knight uh, going single-handed in the resolve and the fight back and also uh, bearing the uh, sort of uh, English skipper's uh, you know, sort of spookiness element with uh, Joe Root, under- unable to get to 100 across the five tests. She gets to 127 in England's 8 for 235, although they still are trailing Australia on first innings by 102 runs. Yeah, really good day, day of cricket, actually. I um, watched quite a lot of it and enjoyed it thoroughly. And it just confirms what uh, so many people have been saying, that the, the last few test matches that the Australian women have played, and they don't get to play very many, have they've served up such flat wickets that mm. to finally get a wicket with some life and some carry, uh, the spectacle was superb. And um, Barney Roney, who's an English journalist, writes for The Guardian, sort of sent out a tweet saying, let's just scrap the rest of the fixtures and play another four test matches. And I kind of agree with him. But if they could have um, pitches like this, I think that women's test cricket has a real future. Everyone sort of says, well, really T20 is the, the main arm for the, for the women's game. But I, I could see a five-test Ashes series if it was given some um, you know, love and respect becoming a, a real thing. But yeah, Heather Knight played a really important innings. And England were in a terrible situation, looking like they are probably going to... Um, be potentially asked to follow on. It's only a four-day test, so the follow-on's 150, and they were creeping towards that target, <laughs> looking like they weren't going to get there. Would have been interesting to, to see whether or not the Aussies would have enforced it. The tradition is not to, but the weather forecast tomorrow for Canberra is not so good, especially the second half of um, the, the day's play might be rain-affected, so there would have been a temptation to do so, but that's gone out the window, because not only have they passed it, they, they now only trail by 100. Sophie Eccleston batting at number... Um, 10 has made 27 not out, which is the second top score. So he's 100 behind Heather Knight. So shows how um, poorly the rest of the players did. But yeah, they've, they've given themselves a chance of, um, of getting something out of this game, which is important because if Australia win this test match, they retain the Ashes. And uh, for the uh, selectors of the Australian team, they've uh, done quite well, or as well as they can, to uh, try and fit everyone in, uh, at least Perry back into the side. And, of course, the incredible effort of Beth Mooney uh, taking her place in the side just, what, nine days after surgery on a fractured jaw? Unbelievable. Not only that, she was chased a ball to the boundary today and uh, hurled herself <laughs> violently. And um, you just look at that, and I thought, is that? I thought that looks like Beth Mooney for that. It really, it actually is. And um, I can't believe she's got a broken jaw. Um, yeah, so she, yeah, credit to the to, to her courage and to the medical staff. And 
And yeah, the Australians um, batted well on day one. They, England got a pretty good start. They had them two for not many and then three for not many. And although um, Meg Lanning ended up with 93, they dropped her a couple of times, one of them a bit of a sitter. So England really did let the Aussies um, off the hook. Rachel Haynes made a, an 80. Talia McGrath again getting runs and Ash Gardner as well. So Australia um, powering to a good position. But as I said, England at least showing some fight. Before we move on uh, from women's cricket, uh, some news and chat this week around broadcasting deals and rights. The men's T20 World Cup coming up. It'll be on free-to-air TV. But the women's one-day international World Cup, which is coming up in March, was not picked up by the free broadcasters, which placed it behind a paywall. Um, I read into it as a little bit of disrespect. Uh, what are your thoughts on it, Paul? Well, I just think it's um, it's disappointing, but not unexpected that that's what um, free-to-air TV does, unfortunately. And I... I don't understand it in, in this modern era where they've got multi-channels. That, mm. uh, I think that, um, yeah, I know that it's in New Zealand and that sometimes the time zone there, for, especially for day games, doesn't work so well because it's when people are working. But um, stick it on Gem, and I'm sure it's going to rate better than whatever 1953 movie they put on. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, um, I, I find it really disappointing. And, you know... I just find it struggling from a commercial uh, aspect because I think they, you know, it would have done well. Yeah, I, I agree as well. And I mean, we saw the build of, as you said, the T20, which they, you know, are, are banking on to be the um, sort of entry point for a lot of people into women's cricket. But yeah, it's uh, just, it's if you can't see it, how, how are people going to get around it? You know, but I mean, Alyssa Healy doing her bit with uh, 20 KO vouchers and that sort of thing. But that's just the very start of uh, what could be done for our coverage of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we talk about it all the time, but um, the the big thing for English cricket was in 2005 when it went behind the paywall. It kind of has um, diminished in significance in that country ever since. It's obviously very different situations, but even though streaming is big and it's getting bigger and bigger, there's still a large percentage of the population that just turn on their television and um, sort of cycle through the, the free-to-air channel. So, so yeah, it's a disappointment that it's gone on. Speaking of England, uh, they're currently locked into a uh, best of five series in a T20 uh, against uh, the West Indies. Uh, West Indies are currently 2-1 ahead uh, to Runfest uh, to open it up in the first two games before they got real rolling in game three with England all out for 103. Uh, how have you seen the action across the first three matches, Paul? Well, the first one was a bit of a um, poor old England. The, the, the feeling was, oh, their, their test team's no good, but now that their <laughs> white ball team's back in action, it'll be, um, it'll be different. <laughs> they got absolutely rolled. And the West Indies got the runs with one wicket out. So that was um, a pretty dismal sort of start for them. Then they um, they got a strange win in the second game um, because it, they, they won by one run. And so you think, oh, that's a, um, a grandstand finish. But they actually, um, the West Indies couldn't win it mathematically uh, with three balls to go. They, were still, they needed um, uh, 19 to tie off the final three balls and they hit three sixes. Um, and they actually hit 30. They, they, did, they, did, they did 29 off the final over to tie, and they got 28. So uh, bizarre sort of finish. And then, yeah, Western is um, massive total um, in, the, in the final, in the third uh, game, 220-odd. And England didn't do too badly getting uh, to 200, but Owen Morgan was uh, ruled out in the warm-ups before the game with a hamstring strain. So Moen Alley actually got to captain, and so he'll also continue captaining for the final two matches. So England down... Down 2-1, but, you know, you give them a chance of coming back and winning that, maybe. 
Yeah, anything can happen, that's for sure. Uh, the Australian Under-19s, they're at the uh, Under-19s World Cup at the moment. They haven't been in action for a few days, but they take on one of the uh, favourite teams of the tournament in Pakistan in coverage going on live right now. It's hard to get a feel for how they'll go, but it's pretty exciting that they did get through to the finals after they had some tense moments in waiting to see Sri Lanka defeat with the West Indies, which uh, guaranteed them making their way through. Yeah, they needed to. But they needed Sri Lanka to win or for the West Indies to win well. Um, so it was a reasonably close sort of game. So it could have easily gone the other way. And I think that if it had been a West Indies win, it would have been by a sufficiently narrow margin to see Australia kicked out of the tournament. So really pleased that they've made it through to to the quarterfinals, as you know, as Australia should. Um, uh, they've had, yeah, nine days where they've just done nothing. So the, the, they've had the sort of... Um, second tier or the plate quarterfinals, sound like something from the Rugby Sevens um, <laughs> that had um, going through. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Pakistan and India, always very, very difficult to beat their huge, hugely talented youths. And um, the, the conditions in the West Indies probably favour Pakistan a little bit more than Australia. So uh, it'd be great if we could get a win and, and progress all the way to the, uh, to the semis and the final. And some uh, big news around uh, during the week. Brendan Taylor, uh, the rumours were abound on Twitter before the former Zimbabwe captain made his statement of an interaction with what he thought was a bit of a sports-based meeting, but it turned out to be a setup with some bookies. He waited some time before reporting it to the uh, ICC, which has made people a little bit sceptic, sceptical of this situation and his side of the story. Uh, how have you seen it play out? Yeah, we, it will be interesting to finally read the official report, which, as I understand it, hasn't come out yet. He kind of got on the front foot with his own statement um, uh, in his statement indicating that he expects to get a significant ban. Um, so, so far, the, the, the reaction has been one of um, that this is very a very sad situation, uh, but let's find out all of the details first. But on the face of it, um, the fact that he hadn't been paid for, I think, six months, which doesn't excuse anything that he's done, but I think it does highlight an issue that exists in cricket that, uh, you know, some of the smaller nations and some of the smaller leagues that... The, the payment is not always coming through and the, it's not as always as well organised as it should be. And that then leaves these players um, vulnerable. Now, there was that spurious rumour that came out in the middle of last Ashes that there was a, a talk that the Ashes test match was going to be fixed. And I just find that ridiculous because to fix an Ashes test match, you need to be offering the players so much money um, that you wouldn't then be able to recoup it in the betting, no matter where you bet, because the bookmakers would say there's something wrong here and they wouldn't wouldn't have a bar of it. The problem is always that the, the, those lower levels or players at the end of their careers who suddenly realise that they're, you know, they're not going to get many more big paydays. So, yeah, it was um, disappointing and bizarre. I mean, I've, I don't know if you've ever read the book Trainspotting, but the sequel to that, there's exactly the same sort of plot where someone does some drugs and then finds out that he's been filmed and um, they, they sort of blackmail him thereafter. So it was something like out of a, out of a work of fiction that that's happened. So very disappointing and, and sad. Um, but, yeah, let's see what the... Um, what the official report says. We'll just finish up on uh, some Indian Premier League uh, news. There's been the auction. Well, the, the auction is upcoming, but we've seen some uh, players retained and also signed up for the new franchise. Uh, Glenn Maxwell is back at uh, Royal Challengers Bangalore. Marcus Stoinis will uh, turn out for the new franchise, Lucknow. They've both been locked in for $2 million plus. It's a good payday, but uh, it's always hard to tell how popular Aussie players will be at the uh, IPL auction. But uh, maybe with the World Cup win, could you see more Australians potentially in the IPL? Yeah, it's a very good question because they, their luster has dropped in the last couple yeah. of years. That um, their, their performance in the IPL has been a little bit disappointing. And uh, in the early early days, yeah, the Australians were, were very, very popular. I think the win in the World Cup will certainly help. Um, 
And look, if you get a chance to watch it, if you've never watched it before, this is the one to watch because normally the IPL auction is kind of just like a top-up um, and they're just picking one or two extra players. But every now and again, they have a mega one where they basically kick out all but three. And then it is just... Um, it's one of the most bizarre spectacles where the players are treated like cattle. Uh, it's just an auction like they're, like their property, yet the players are loving it because, you know, in the space of about two minutes, they're... Um, you know, their, their net worth goes up an enormous amount. And you can sort of see some of the Australian players trying to sort of um, work out exactly how many lakh rupees sure. are, are worth, you know, worth in Australian dollars and possibly getting confused. As, did I just make 200000 or did I make $2 million? What did I What did I actually make? So uh, it's, a, it's a very, very interesting spectacle um, if you do get a chance to watch it. And, yeah, players are getting paid, as they should, um, massive amounts of money, um, sort of bringing them into line at least for those two months, with some of the, the really high-profile sports of the world. Paul, thank you so much for the time uh, to talk cricket on the Overnight Crowd. We really appreciate the help, mate. Uh, enjoy the weekend. Good on you, Hita. That's Paul Dennett, uh, award-winning cricket podcaster, joining us on the Overnight Crowd. He is, of course, part of Cricket Daily and Cricket Unfiltered, alongside Andrew Menzel and also uh, Jalissa Apps. So uh, make sure you uh, do like, subscribe their podcast. And uh, if you uh, want to hear that chat once again, you can head along to sen.com.au forward slash podcasts uh, very shortly, and it'll be there ready for you to uh, replay as uh, you like. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.